welcome to Mailbag of the Wind, where we read your mail. Who are you? I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. And Nick is away. Yeah, that's right. I'm in charge of the mail. Uh, and we've got another letter from the mysterious Jade Blade. Dear Pagers, Pagerinos, Trio, Jordanic, etc. On page three, 435, you were talking about Dennis injuries, and I have a tiny cracked pot to put forth for your inspection. Denna sported a braid when she's when she and Quoth began their day together. After she announces her good news of a formal patronage, and Quoth reacts in a less than gracious manner, she unravels her braid. It is only then that Quoth notices that she is injured, when he says that Master Ash beats her senseless and she touches a fading bruise on her cheek. Later in the conversation, she winces from a pain in her torso which may be cracked or bruised ribs. Perhaps the braid was a knot that said something along the lines of healthy or not injured. When she takes out the braid, Quoth can see the truth when he couldn't before. I imagine that if he'd been able to notice her being injured, he would have said something sooner to her, even if narrator Quoth is an unreliable narrator. Sincerely, the Jade Blade. I have things. Well, take us but away. But, okay, so I feel like the braid would be more specific and slightly different than what they recommend because... Otherwise, she wouldn't have taken out the braid. Maybe the braid said something like, looks pretty or, or lovely, because that would hide, like that same thing would probably hide the injuries or would be distracting enough that they would be less noticeable. So, but I don't think that it would be specifically like uninjured or healthy because then if she, if they're, if they're that specific and she takes out the braid, she would know that the, the, what, what would happen would be suddenly her injuries would be more noticeable. Whereas if the braid says lovely, she might not realize that lovely is distracting from her injury. So if, when she takes it out, she no longer cares if Quoth thinks that she's lovely. She's not really thinking about whether or not her injuries will be noticeable. Yeah. You read, you raise kind of the larger point here which is that like if denna is putting magic in her hair then anytime that if she's doing that then anytime she plays with her hair or undoes a braid she is making a conscious choice about what she wants both to know or think or feel and this feels like a moment and i i agree with you jordana this feels like a moment where it doesn't actually make sense for her to want to undo an enchantment like that if that's what she's doing yeah you know, that being said, I don't even know that I'm convinced that she's doing magic stuff with her hair. And I think that this, that particular theory is tailor-made for people to really go hog wild on their, their inspection of the text and like going hog wild on like any, uh, you know, any interpretation of anytime Denna touches her hair, people are going to like go over it with a fine tooth comb and leaving aside the fact that like, that's just not the way I, I, choose to read things this is a this is a theory where like it's also ripe with red herrings because it's also possible that she's not doing magic with her hair all the time right so you can retroactively say ah well she wasn't doing it this time but she was doing it the other time you know what i mean yeah still mm. food for thought food for In thought much to think on mm, my least favorite activity <laughs> This next letter is from A.S. Dear Nick, Jeremy, and Jordana, 
I've been binging the podcast for a few months now. The gender politics in the books are often on my mind, and I thought it's finally time to write to you about them. For context, I'm a woman who grew up in India and attended an engineering college where less than 10% of students are female. In my four years there, I encountered a vast array of sexist behavior, some of which I recognized as sexist when it happened, and some only years later. After that, I moved to the U.S. for graduate studies and continued to be frustrated by the underrepresentation of women in STEM and the sexist environment that it creates. Now for the books. I love them more than many others I know who've read them. I don't mind Quilk being the most special boy and knowing that he is. I appreciate the abundance of deep and interesting female characters, and I don't think Denna is a manic pixie dream girl. But, on the whole, I don't much like the attitude of these books towards women. Here are three things in particular that turn me off. First, Rothfuss has chosen to create a universe where many fewer women than men attend the university. I don't think this is necessarily a bad choice, but I would like to acknowledge that it is a deliberate choice, not the default option when writing a universe loosely based on medieval times. Further, I feel, based on my own experience, that this should be a source of great frustration to the female population at the university, and I would like them to bring it up much more than much more often than they do in the books. There are plenty of incidences of sexist behavior in the books, but not a lot of commentary about it by the female students. Second, I don't like that we get a detailed description of the appearance of nearly every woman that Quoth meets, and they all seem to be very beautiful and striking. I would like it if there were some normal-looking women with frizzy hair. I understand that this could be read as a natural consequence of Quoth's sexuality and the fact that we're getting the story through his lens, but to me it comes off as the author filling his sets with fictional eye candy, rather than as Quoth's sincere appreciation of the attractive qualities of all individuals. And finally, Denna. Oh my god, why does she have to have lips that are pink even without the application of lipstick, as if that somehow makes her beauty better? Why does she have to be unaware of her own beauty, at least the first time Quoth sees her? And why are her actions perceived to be cruel? The way I see it, Denna's behavior towards Quoth is no better or worse than Quoth's behavior towards her, and yet, everyone, including Rothfuss, seems to think otherwise. I was particularly disheartened when I came across this clip of Rothfuss talking about his inspiration for Denna. And there's a YouTube link. Verisimilitudinously yours, A.S. P.S. Just for fun. Uh, if you could change the gender of a character in the books, who would you pick and why? I would love for one of the masters to be female, like Kilvin or El Shadal. I feel like one female master out of nine masters isn't too much of a stretch, given the gender ratio of students. Oh, I love that letter. I love that letter so much. I want to read it again. Oh, where to begin? <laughs> well, do you want to go through kind of point by point? Um, well, I think we should start at the end with the fun, the, the, the fun piece, which is what character would we switch the gender on? And I don't have a particular character in mind. I just think that's a, that's a, a great and fun activity. Um, because I think there's a lot of different characters that like would change the way the, the book is, uh, depending on like, if they were, if they were female or actually like something that because of when this book was written, I don't fault Rothfuss for not having it, but like it would be great to have a non-binary character in this book. Yeah, um, I think there's yeah. lots of room for it. I think there's like great places for it. Like I think that there's like good plots to be had everywhere, all over the place. But then maybe the book would be too long, which is also like I also agree with this letter. When AS is talking about how the women kind of never talk about the fact that the university is unfair to them. 
And, and it is frustrating that they never talk about that. But maybe the reason they're not talking about that is because there's not room in the book for it. Would that make the book too long? I don't know the answer to that question. Like, do I want to see it? Yes. Do I think it would make the book too long? I have no idea. I don't write books. But yeah, I think like as far as the like, characters that could change to that would like be a fun change. I I have a very selfish want and that is that I would I would like Simmon to be female because I see myself as Simmon and I happen to be female. So I would like Simmon to be more like me so that I can mm. feel more like I am in Simmon's shoes. Although most of the time I feel like I'm in Simmon's shoes regardless, so I really don't think that that's like a a must have. It's just like me being selfish and wanting the book to <laughs> to be personalized. <laughs> I have no like like particularly good for the world reason to to switch uh, a gender of a character. Like I do agree that there there should be more representation all over the place in this book, but I think like one character specifically, I don't think I could pull. Hmm. Th- did that make sense? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, if if we're going to start with that prompt at the end, I think that an interesting change to make that would change a lot of things in the book uh, would be to change to make uh, Ambrose a woman. Ooh, ooh, that is so good. Oh man, I didn't even think about that. That's a great idea. That character would kind of fit into like the mean girl archetype. You know, she'd be like the rich, popular girl in a high school. And wouldn't that be so much... Oh, it would give the character of Ambrose so much more depth because they would also be dealing with the the like the explicit sexism that is occurring in the university. So like that would really give you uh, like a... Oh, what is the word I'm looking for? Yeah, it would complicate that character a little bit, exactly. right? Yes, that. Yeah, because that. then, you know, you could kind of assume that, oh, she used daddy's money to buy her way in here. And maybe the only reason she got into university at all is because, you know, her dad just like dropped 50,000 ducats or whatever to make sure that she got in. Not to say that... But there's also like the complicated thing of maybe she was as averagely good at stuff for the university as every uh, as all the other men who were averagely good at, at stuff for the university but since she couldn't get in without daddy's money because she was a woman exactly she had to use daddy's exactly. money to get in and that was really complicated and oh my gosh i love it i think that the, the main thing you'd have to change about that character is the fact that ambrose is uh so abusive and misogynist you couldn't really have her behave that way towards women, if only for the the bad optics. Like there is there is a harmful stereotype of lesbian women as being like abusive to their partners, and I don't think you would want to feed into that stereotype necessarily. Yeah, that would you'd have to be careful about that. But you could have her treat men like if if she's going to be a straight character, you could have her treat men badly in the way that you know abusive people can treat their partners and complicate it with the fact that like in some way she's using her power to abuse these men in the same way that other people in power are abusing her. Mm -hmm. So like, I think that might be an, I don't think it's a change that I would make, but I think that if you did make it, it would be an interesting change. I agree that that is a very interesting I want to see that fan fiction. Not that I should really try and read fan fiction because I feel like I would like it. But if I did read fan fiction, I would read that fan fiction. Yeah, I feel like it would it would complicate the book in an interesting way and, and tease out some of the themes and kind of get at 
some of what you bring up in your letter, AS, because like I, I think that I, by and large, I see where you're coming from, and I, I agree. I think that the gender politics of this good this book were pretty good for like 2007, and they were very much kind of where the cultural conversation was at. But I think, if nothing else, the fact that Rothfuss is us, you know, as far as we know, a straight white man he's you know he's and he's writing in this time he's i think a little bit more limited in the way he understands his subjects uh i think that jordana you make a good point that like because it's not like the female characters never talk about the the different challenges that they face in this sexist academic environment because they do talk about it they just don't talk about it very often and I think that part of that is simply a function of the fact that the book is from Quoth's perspective. All his closest friends who aren't Denna are men. And there there just aren't that many scenes where all the girls in the book get together to talk, right? There's like, basically, in the context of the heist, that's the first major time we see that happen. So because this book is from a limited perspective, I think that Rothfuss like is aware that this is a thing and it's a thing he wants to deal with, but the, the limitations of the form he's chosen have kind of dictated what he has space to talk about. And also I think you're right, Jordan, these books are really long and he has, he, you know, he probably has to be pretty choosy about what he gets in there. And those are choices that he's making, right? He's choosing not to emphasize the imbalanced gender politic and sexism of his world. Uh, in favor of talking about other stuff. That is a choice he's making. Just like, as you point out, he made a choice to write a fantasy novel in which there are magic and, you know, mysterious beings and fairies, but that also includes institutional sexism. And I think that a big breakthrough that happened in the fantasy genre, it, it kind of became a lot more mainstream in the fantasy genre after these books came out, um, is that, fantasy authors more and more started to try and imagine like, okay, I'm going to write a book that's set in like, you know, a kind of medieval fantasy setting, but that doesn't mean that women can only be lusty barmaids or like scheming Queens or whatever, you know, why I don't feel the need to, to replicate the, the gender roles of 14th century France, just because I'm writing a fantasy novel that has swords and knights in it. I can do whatever I want. And I think that that became a lot more, common as like a mode of writing fantasy and a critique that a lot of people started to level at fantasy after Rothfuss's time. And I'm not saying that necessarily to excuse him just to point out that like, that's a, a cultural shift that happened kind of after his time. And again, and I, we've brought this idea up before on this show. I do wonder if part of the reason that he's having a hard time finishing the third book is because the, the fantasy genre is is kind of moving on from the the milieu in which he was writing the, these books, uh, which I think at the time he was writing them were pretty progressive and now seem a little bit old fashioned. And I wonder if he's having if that's something he's struggling with. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, I've never written a book, but I imagine that that would be something that would be struggle worthy to ascend, like because he can't change that much of it if it's going to feel the same. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's how much do you change, how much do you keep kind of situation. And we'll include a link to that YouTube video in the show description. I would just like to reiterate again how great this letter is. 
Yeah, thanks very much for writing. And I agree with everything. (laughs) All right, moving on to a letter from Rachel. Uh, This letter is titled Lauren, an Amir. A long email, sorry. Hi, guys. Although I can't wait for your regular episodes to begin again, I have been very grateful for your interlude as it has allowed me to finally catch up. I've been holding off writing letters in case the topics were brought up later down the line. So now I have so many things. So email number one of probably far too many. Feel free to summarize if it's too long. Absolutely not. No way. So the first subject is on Lauren. I tend to be quite cynical about wild crackpot theories and often side with Jeremy when wild speculation abounds. Although, Jeremy, you seem to be have been becoming more crackpotted of late, clearly the influence of your co-hosts. When you first mentioned the Lauren is an Amir theory, I was pretty dismissive. However, you did raise some compelling points. So in true nerd fashion, I sat down with my electronic copy of both books and searched for every instance of Lauren's name and every instance of the Amir to try to pull together any supporting evidence. I summarized this below. Quote 1. Quoth's trip, first trip into tombs. Quoth first requests books about the Chandrian. A scrib finds him some with no issue, although the books are useless. Quoth's next request is about the Amir. This is when Lauren turns up to speak with him. Uh, he asks the purpose of Quoth's questions, then offers his own summary of the Amir to satisfy Quoth's curiosity. He gives the standard answer about the Amir being part of the church with judiciary powers. Quoth asks they originated in Ator then, and Lauren responds with, where else would they have originated? This scene finishes with Lauren advising Quoth to focus himself on the present day, and he crosses out Quoth's request for books on the Amir from the ledger. Conclusion. It seems odd for Lauren to intervene just to help Quoth look less childish in front of other students. He seems to be very keen to shut down Quoth's further questions or research. Definitely sus, as Jeremy would say. Point number two. Quoth getting banned from the archives after the candle incident. This happens when Quoth gets access to stacks, but he isn't on the verge of a particular discovery. Lauren only bans him when he brings in a candle. Although a ban might seem a bit over the top, and Willem does say a banning hasn't happened in years, there is a precedent for Lauren being overprotective of his books. Simmons says he'd rather get caught by a mother bear than have Lauren see me folding down a page. Conclusion. Overall, I don't think this is suspicious enough to be counted as independent evidence for this theory, although it would fit if the theory turned out to be true. Point number three. Quoth discovers the For the Greater Good message hidden in the Duke of Gabea's journal. He's later kicked out of the archives by Lauren for raising his voice to tell other students to be quiet. However, in this scene, Quoth raises his voice to speak to the other students a couple of times. Lauren only comes over after Quoth has discussed his Amir theory with Simmons. Rothfuss even mentions that while Quoth is discussing this theory, he struggled to keep his voice down low. Is this coincidence? Is Lauren's intervention just a handy way for Rothfuss to end the scene? Or did Lauren intervene because of what he heard? Conclusion? Almost definitely suspicious. I'm not sure I've come to a definitive conclusion here, but having started out very skeptical, I do have to admit... There's enough here to support a theory of Lauren actively intervening to prevent Quoth's research, and why else would he do this unless he was an emir? Lots to think on. Interesting final note. If you are of a disposition to look for supporting evidence in seemingly innocent places, when Lauren bans Quoth from the archives, he says, Your hand held the fire, yours is the blame. That is the lesson all adults must learn. This could be argued to be very emir-esque judgment. Thanks, and I hope you've had a very restful break. Rachel. Also doc well what do you have to say about that one jordana i (laughs) you're gonna hate me (laughs) i like to sit on the fence and not make decisions Um... Mm. (laughs) 
<laughs> and while I, I, I just don't like, I want Lauren to be in a mirror, but I feel like we don't have enough evidence yet. So I don't, I don't want to say that he is. And I don't want to say that he isn't because it's a lot easier to just sit on the fence and enjoy the show. Hmm. <laughs> well, you know what, Jordana? I agree with you. Oh, okay. In the sense that I think it's, you know, I, I think it is in some sense heresy to try to divine what Rothfuss intends before it's revealed to us. It is really a thing where like, if it turned out that Lauren wasn't a mirror, then you would have all these things to point to as evidence. But I don't know. For me, on their own, they're not actually all that compelling as evidence for the theory. They, they're they circumstantial evidence, right? If the shoe fits, then later on you can go back and go, ah, I see these footprints. That being said, uh, as I said on our last uh, episode, I do enjoy having all the, the sort of evidence points in favor of a theory laid out for me. Uh, that makes it a lot easier for me to keep it all in my head, if that makes sense. So I appreciate the diligent work of our listeners on doing that. And I think that's all we have time for on this episode. So you'll just have to wait for another one to learn uh, just how cracked the pots of our listenership have gotten in this hiatus. Uh, I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. And we have been Paige. Of. The. Wind. Wind.